Now, by and large, companies, I think, in this space want to do the right thing. They want to engage their staff. They understand the importance of it. They understand that, you know, particularly in the recruitment industry, that uh, you really are only as good as your recruiter. And if your recruiter cares deeply about the work that they're doing, they're going to look after your clients uh, even better. The problem that we then face is that it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is. We hear lots of conflicting information, things fly under the radar, and we really need to transition to the ability to look at this from a data-driven aspect. What are the areas of concern within the workforce, within the company, and how can we create meaningful actions that address those problems in a reliable manner? Hello, everyone. It's Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive here, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Absolutely delighted to have you with us. We're going to be digging into one of the issues that... uh, uh, REC members talk to me most in today's podcast about engaging staff and uh, developing them and making sure that uh, you're looking after your people and helping them perform. Uh, so a really interesting discussion to come. But first, a bit of an update from here at REC Towers. Well, it's a busy day on the day we're launching this episode of the podcast because the 23rd of November is REC Awards Day. Looking forward to seeing uh, 700 people from across the membership at the awards uh, t- tonight. But that's not the only big event that we're uh, we're running. The REC's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Summit is on the 28th of November in London. Still time to get the last few seats on that if you're interested in coming along. And there we're launching some fantastic fantastic new work all about what we can do in the recruitment industry to really shift the dial on uh, EDI. A a great bit of work that's been put together for our members, but specifically for recruiters, uh, which our team will be launching on the day alongside some great discussions on the 28th. Uh, The next event after that in our calendar is our end of year talking recruitment webinar with me and the team on the 5th of December, where we'll give you all the latest that's going on, including updates on some of the legal changes we're seeing. Great news that for many workers, the 12.07% holiday pay uh, figure is returning to use based on some uh, uh, some regulations the government has tabled to come into force on the 1st of January. That's enabled the REC to make some real progress in uh, discussions with the GLA and others on how uh, the industry is regulated. But on the flip side of that, we're also thinking big and long term. Uh, uh, Clearly, the impact of the autumn statement will be significant as we go forward into 2024, which is very likely to be a general election year. So look out in early January for the REC manifesto for 2024. That's a really important place where we're going to set out the real value that the industry has built on some of the statistics we have, our upcoming recruitment industry status report will help us with that but also the real difference we know that recruiters are making across the country as we're going to celebrate in the awards tonight in terms of data do look out for jobs outlook on the 29th of november that of course is our survey of clients that's been gently telling us that clients have been getting 
more confident about their own business in the last few months. We're looking forward to seeing whether that's continuing because that's a leading edge indicator of 2024, maybe being a bit more positive, particularly for perm recruitment than 2023 has been and our November billings data so that's the performance of the industry the performance of the labour market overall is out on the 8th of December and that's going to be super important because of course at the moment we're having real trouble with the official data the labour force survey and the Bank of England's relying more and more on the data that you provide us through the report on jobs our billings data to take a view on where the labour market is right now it does seem like we're at the top of the interest rate cycle inflation uh, came down more than expected in the middle of November in the October inflation figures that's a good sign hopefully as inflation falls bank begins to take its foot off uh, the neck of growth in the UK economy because they've been squeezing growth to get inflation down and hopefully we can all look forward to a happy new year as well as a Merry Christmas. Now uh, let's turn to today's uh, topic for discussion. I hinted earlier we were going to lean in on employee engagement in a world where things are changing fast uh, around technology for employees but also the uh, uh, the nature of the workforce, multiple generations, people transitioning mid-career, and of course, companies thinking about how they get uh, the best from their team. And with that in mind, I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Fraser Duncombe, who's the Chief Executive at Water Group. Uh, Fraser, welcome to the REC podcast. Hi, thanks, Neil. Uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, thanks for the nice introduction. Very positive uh, sound going forward. Uh, glad, glad to hear that. Well, we try and be optimistic. It's recruiters' natural setting, as, uh, as you know. Um, Fraser, uh, Water is a business that the REC's worked with for some time. In fact, we u- use uh, Water's product in our own, own business. But just to kick off, explain a little bit about what uh, what the group does and how it's useful to employers. Sure. Uh, my, myself and, and uh, my business partner set, set Water up uh, a number of years ago, having, um, I, I always say, you know, we can all think back to a job that we didn't like. Um, and, and actually, I worked in recruitment uh, for a little while myself and, and spent a lot of time talking to two people about, you know, jobs that they don't like. Now, by and large, companies, I think, in this space want to do the right thing. They want to engage their staff. They understand the importance of it. They understand that, you know, particularly in the recruitment industry, that uh, you really are only as good as your recruiter. And if your recruiter cares deeply about the work that they're doing, they're going to look after your clients uh, even better. The problem that we then face is that it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is. We hear lots of conflicting information, things fly under the radar, and we really need to transition to the ability to look at this from a data-driven aspect. What are the areas of concern within the workforce, within the company, and how can we create meaningful actions that address those problems in a reliable manner, as opposed to kind of running from pit to post trying to fix everything? And so Water's uh, tool, our, our primary uh, product uh, is, is Water itself, and um, and that's all about gathering that data from people such that uh, it, it can be accessed in a live uh, manner, giving maximum insight into uh, how people are, are operating and, and feeling uh, and, and giving you the tools you need uh, to, to search for that high level of engagement that, that we need in the recruitment sector. And of course, in um, in terms of your product, I mean, using it in our business at the REC, 
um, there's a kind of numeric score measurement. You ask people questions. There's also an opportunity for people to feed back. And, and I think creating safe spaces for people to share what might be quite difficult messages uh, feels uh, like exposing uh the uh, yourself a little bit as, as a business leader but of course it gives you some uh data to help you make decisions and is that is that the heart of the kind of the message here is that um yeah if you're not kind of structurally collecting data from staff on where their issues are where where their need what their needs are that you're kind of stabbing in the dark a little bit in terms of uh addressing employee engagement that's it and um you know there's been a big change in this area as well you know pre-covid the idea of large swathes of staff working from home was seen as as somewhat alien and and of course if you're in the same room uh as the people that you're working with then it's relatively easy to get a good idea of 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 what they're saying particularly in a in a smaller uh, work environment um as companies grow and you end up with more layers of middle management, that naturally becomes harder. But this is even more so exacerbated by the extreme change in working uh, sort of setup that we've seen in the last in the last few years. You know, if you're uh, have a large amount of people working from home, um, you know, this is fine. This is a good thing to be doing. But we're then relying on you know managers, for example, to call people up and really try and understand. Um, how they feel connected to a business. By and large, our understanding, our research has told us that this is not effective. Um, it is not working as, as well as we want. Um, in, in most places, there are people who have cracked it out there and an and absolute uh, you know, respect to those people, but we're still in this sort of transitionary period. And what we're seeing then, and, and we're seeing it uh, within, you know, of course, the clients of recruitment, the, the, the larger uh, industry, but also in, in, the, in the recruitment uh, itself, you're losing this connection between the individual and the company as a whole. Uh, and so those people are looking for other places to, to, to work ultimately. And recruitment's long had a, an issue um, with, with churn. It, it, it runs vastly above the, the national average um, for employee turnover. Um, and the problem, one of the problems recruitment faces, of course, is that um, wh while we try and take measures to stop it happening, um, you know, recruiters also go off and set up on their own. And, and, and um, if they don't have the connection to the company, then there's all the more reason for that sort of thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we can move into a data driven uh, idea of this rather than a sort of hope driven idea, I think, is, is, is the, the sort of reason for, for being here. And of course, it's interesting you talk about recruitment as a sector, but so much of this is contextual as well in terms of um, as leaders, we want data that that people have given us. But we also need to understand what stands behind that data. I recall talking to groups of business leaders, uh, maybe earlier than this time last year, maybe it in the spring of 2022 talking about the pay pressure they were starting to ex experience and and encouraging um uh business leaders to own the data i'm getting pressure on pay what does that mean it doesn't necessarily mean your pay is poor it might mean do you understand the pressure on people's daily lives you know inflation was rising there was pressure on pay because people were struggling to make ends meet and then you, that starts a very intelligent discussion which the data has 
kicked off but isn't giving you the answer to which is about well how do we respond to that there's something there about not just using the data for decision making but using the data to ask the right questions that's it i mean as as you mentioned you know and and as you're aware uh through through what are being uh, at the rec uh financial well-being is one of the questions uh one of the pillars that we uh we engage uh employees in i think um as as you say we don't as business leaders have unlimited pots of cash to raise salaries endlessly and and nor actually a lot of the time is salary necessarily the problem um, as, as you say there as well. I think um, one of the, the new features actually that came out on Water uh, last week is the AI uh, trend suggestions feature that looks through what we're uh, hearing from your employees and gives you those those suggestions. One particularly powerful one that came up in this in this area to share was rather than um, worrying about increasing salary if you're already sort of benchmarking your salary and, and that is not necessarily the problem, um, uh, uh, companies can, for example, provide information and training around what interest rates mean, you know, how APRs work, credit cards, debt, mortgage, you know, all of, you know, the, the effect of inflation on um, on people and why we're here. And, you know, all, all of that knowledge is stuff that, um, you know, we can argue that it should be taught in schools, but in lieu of it not being taught in schools, even just being able to give your employees access to that sort of information gives them two things. One, gives them further information about the problems that they're facing, but two, it lets them know that you do understand what life is like for them it lets them feel um you know closer to to the uh the company they work for and and that has numerous benefits which i'm sure don't need to be gone into in detail at this point yeah i think i think that's that's right and you know i i think this that like a number of issues it's about gathering data um so that you understand the starting point of people and you can walk with them on a journey because you know if you think about recruitment as an industry um it's a service industry it, it's not like you know a steel mill where the capital is in the ability to to make the steel or the uh, or, or a, a power plant where there's heavy industry cap capital, all of the value creation in a recruitment firm, like most services, most professional services uh, businesses, is is with the people. So if you, unless you're unlocking the people, um, there's not going to be a lot of productivity growth, I suppose. That that's it, and I mean even even more acutely in those sectors, but you know almost sort of particularly recruitment, which is a particularly uh, competitive industry in 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 this area. You know, you really are only as good as the recruiter that's on the call with your client, um, and this is something that is difficult on on large scales uh, to 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 sort of manage. But the real um, you know, sort of key to it is if you can, we, we define at what a um, employee engagement as the intrinsic motivation of, of staff. So yeah. where, rather than the extrinsic, which is, you know, you, you make these calls and make these placements and I'll pay you and I'll give you this commission. That's one side of the reason we go to work. The other side of the reason we go to work is that it gives us purpose. It gives us joy and it gives us a sense of connection uh, to something wider. If we can tap into that and build people's intrinsic motivation, motivation for why they do work for, for a company. This is the sort of thing that, you know, gets 
through the hard times. It it means that they uh, you know they try harder when when they need to um, when when they're up against it. Um, you know, and and then they inevitably get the results that you need um, through through that effort, and and that gives you, you know, as as we said, you know, you, you, your your work is only as good as the recruiter that's on the call to the client. How much that recruiter cares, that's that's very important in the, in that equation. There are a couple of kind of factors that come into that. You know, I completely agree with the the point about intrinsic motivation being the thing that makes a real difference. Um, the two things that I'm thinking about, the first, we'll go on to the second in a second, but the first is really about kind of how how intrinsic motivation is delivered might differ from person to person, um, both in terms of people coming from different generations, different backgrounds, but also actually just in terms of different managers having different approaches um how do you how do you see that that kind of need for a a a focus on getting the engagement side right to deliver in the business but also to have a tolerance for people's different pathways to getting engagement up yeah, that's it. I mean, I think there's one of the interesting uh, things here. People often ask me, you know, what can I do? What should my culture be like? How should I get there? And really, it's it's difficult to answer that question because of exactly what you said. People are different. You know, cultures are often built in the images of their founders. People are, you know, people have different expectations of um, the way that they want their business to operate, um, or, or how they want people to work in that in that company, and even uh, established companies that are no longer founder-led still have this uh, sort of element where the culture largely reflects the the, the leader. Um, what I'm saying here is that there is, as you say, no one size fits all all solution. And by increasing the visibility that you have over, you know, those different generations within the workforce, you know, different genders, different, uh, even different lengths of service, um, all have big effects in how people want their work to to be. And ultimately, we are largely, or at least, maybe not so much business owners but but the sort of general working population are on a sort of long-term journey to go and find the place where they want to stay um forever at least that's the sort of intention if we can try and find the people that want what we've got and we can understand why we're there we've got to understand our reason for success um that way we can replicate and and grow much much more effectively and, and much more um, predictably than if we are, are simply sort of hoping for the best. I think that makes lots of sense. And what I'm finding quite refreshing about this chat, Fraser, is it's rare enough that you have a discussion with someone who's doing what you do, which is essentially employee um, engagement, measurement and feedback, and that the answers you're giving are the data is important but what it tells you might be different based on the different places you're in. You know, workplaces have very, you know, it's very fashionable to talk about the intergenerational workplace, for instance, now, and and individual members of staff will uh, react differently because of their age and background uh, to different developments. But also the workplace is changing very quickly and some workplaces are being disrupted and re- reformed by AI quicker than others. So that kind of environmental 
contextualization of of what we do with data leads me to a couple of kind of conclusions one is change doesn't take away the need to be measuring and understanding to drive that intrinsic motivation and then i mean just to jump in there i think yeah. if anything it's the other way it means you need to be uh accessing more data to understand that change and importantly yeah. you need to be doing that regularly um you know i've long declared war on the annual survey if your change is happening more quickly than on an annual basis then your annual survey is missing it um you need to be moving forward into a into a live system that can monitor things in real time we move from you said we did to you're saying we're doing uh, as a concept yeah and you're saying we're doing and here's the outcome increasingly as well yeah. Because, you know, if you look at some of the expectations that workers set out for social value actions by companies, it's not enough to say you value EDR, you have to actually live it and uh, and demonstrate it. So there's, there's something about that kind of process of measurement and educating your decisions being even more, as you say, important in, in a time of, uh, of change, especially if people feel threatened by that change, as many people do with things like uh or the march of uh, uh of artificial intelligence but there's also something here about confidence as managers in being open to take feedback and being willing to say yeah actually we're working on that um which again feels like it's a big step from you know, as you say, the annual survey where we get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if we get a thumbs up, everybody forgets about it for the next year. That's it. And and that desire for, for feedback is, is you know, so, so important in, in, in a number of ways. And I mean, funnily enough, I mentioned earlier that, you know, people have asked me in the past, you know, what can I do today? What's the first thing I can do to, to try and help? My, my, re my real honest answer is go and go and invest in manager training. Um, either mm. internal or external, um, you know, this is important. The Chartered Management Institute um, reckon that 66% of managers in the UK are accidental managers. In the recruitment industry, we often promote the top performer to manage the team. Um, this person is not necessarily inherently a manager. And yet what we need to be sensitive to is that, you know, they, they may um, feel insecure in that position. They they know very well how to, to recruit, but they may well not know very well how to manage. But that's a problem that can be solved. That said, if it is not solved, we end up with exactly what you said, which is people who are afraid uh, ultimately of hearing the thing that they don't want to hear. And the the, the issue is that simply sticking our head in the sand and pretending that that issue isn't there at all doesn't make it go away. Actually, what we found um, by, by studying this is that, and, it, and it's pretty obvious when you think of it, the longer you leave an issue, the bigger it gets. Very rarely do cultural uh, issues within your company disappear simply because you ignore them. Um, what, what they tend to do is, is, is drag you down. And they can do that in a way that is not immediately obvious um, until you look back five years later and you think, gosh, that was, uh, you know, that has really hurt. And all we had to do was that five years ago. Hindsight is wonderful. Um, what I would say is even better is, is foresight. And ultimately that comes from, from data. And, and, and handling data in a certain way. What's really interesting is we're talking about managers and 
talking about training managers, but also building managerial confidence. So taking data not as a, a moral judgment, you know, employee engagement data not as a moral judgment on the uh, on the role of, uh, and function of managers, but as feedback, and and having the confidence as leaders to encourage managers to invest in themselves um, feels to me absolutely vital, especially in an industry like recruitment where you know your desk heads who are often be promoted into that role because they've been super billers. You've got uh, people uh, above those desk heads in the organization who are also ex-recruiters, really good, know how to do it at real risk of kind of steaming in and taking over helicopter style. Whereas actually what you're trying to build is structures for self-improvement. And that that that's a kind of a real maturity challenging job for which data is the first tool and then you need to build on that. And I think your mention of management training is really interesting in that regard because there's a, a, a real focus in many recruitment firms I come across with, you know, how do we get across that valley of death between being an organization where I, I as the founder, have set up a structure that I can run um, and our employee engagement is really good because we see each other all the time. And we're really clear and that transition into corporate where suddenly you're a bit bigger and you have to have systems and you have to have um, specialisms and verticals uh, across the business. That that feels like an area where many smaller firms trip over because they're not they're not quite as confident with what they're trying to do. That's it. It reminds me of something that um, one of my own advisors said to to, to me um, a number of years ago. Um, you have two choices as a smaller business. Um, you can either be a small company or you can be a large company in a small phase. And a lot of the times, as you say, there are a number of kind of hurdles that recruitment companies need to, to, to get past. I think the first one is, is obviously growing more than one person. The next one is sort of growing more than five people. Um, and, then, and then it builds up. But all companies face an issue at about the 50-person um, point, which is that you then start to need quite serious layers of middle management. The, the leader of the company can no longer have sort of fingers in all pies effectively. This continues the next the next level is about 150 because you again you need more layers of that middle management and you 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 end up with a a distance between as we said that recruiter who ultimately is the you know the quality of your product is the quality of your recruiter you as a leader are now potentially even multiple levels away from that person and and it's not um, you know you shouldn't be ashamed to say I ultimately have no real idea what that person particularly wants. Um, because I, I don't see them very often because the, the, the company's too large. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, sort of important, as, as you say, to, to kind of understand um, that there are these issues that we face. But the companies that I've seen and worked with who have been both in recruitment and in other industries who have grown and grown consistently, they have uh, embraced the sorts of things that corporates do, even when they're small enough to maybe be able to get away without them. And, um, you know, what I mean there is is structured management training. It is uh, progression planning. It is, uh, you know, those sorts of things that allow you to kind of develop, uh, you know, talent 
as you go and find the people that ultimately, as you grow, you're going to need to trust in order to take over those those areas of, of, of your company. Yeah, being a top biller is great, and it means you're a top biller. doesn't necessarily mean you're a top manager, um, and that those are muscles that you need to build up over time. So thinking about management training, thinking about structuring employee engagement, and as you say, as you grow, finding ways to get clear signals from the staff. And obviously, you're always trying to build a culture where people are open with each other about challenging things, where they're comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations because the culture is supportive of uh, individuals. And I think I, I think that makes a huge difference. But the kind of measurement of day-to-day trends also matters a huge amount. Um, Fraser, that's been a really interesting insight into kind of some of the challenges facing uh, recruitment business owners on employee engagement and particularly that pull through to productivity and performance. Um, If people want to find out more about you and more about water, what would they do? Uh, so um, feel free to grab me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty active on there. Uh, it's Fraser Fraser Duncombe. Um, our website is water.ai. Uh, there's plenty of resources on there, including re- recruitment specific stuff. Um, we've got a number of blogs uh, on there, uh, as well as a mailing list. So um, do do jump on, uh, do do reach out. I, I love talking to people in the you know in the industries. Um, trying to understand, uh, you know, their issues and, and ultimately how we can be, uh, you know, better at fixing them. Um, that's the, the the real goal. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Fraser. And uh, I don't often do this, but you know, I can I can back up some of what we're discussing about because, we, as you know, we've been using water in the REC for a, a while now, and it is a powerful tool in our business, and certainly does help us bridge the gap between more irregular uh, uh, services. But a real pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Neil. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thank you to all of you for joining us for this episode of uh, Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this, you're not quite home yet on your commute or you'd like a little bit more uh, uh, podcast uh, content while you're getting on with a, a, a job at home or in the office, why not try one of our other recent episodes? Episode 22 for 2023, really cracking discussion with Alex Arnott from Founders about the barriers, mistakes and successes of recruitment and building startup and and growth recruitment businesses. Or you could look into unpacking hiring trends, uh, the routes through early careers and the quality of life issues that uh, that workers are fa- facing as they enter the enter the market with uh, Raj Lal from Total Jobs on episode 21. And yes, I did ask him about jobs board pricing. So there's an answer in there uh, on that for you as well. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment. And I look forward to seeing you at an REC event soon or uh, joining you for another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.